Brothers and sisters, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to our our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. We will be looking at Mark chapter 14 and bringing this chapter to its conclusion, looking at verses 66 to 72. Mark chapter 14, verses 66 to 72. Please, and if you would, hear with me the reading of God's Word. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Thus far as the reading of God's word. Well, it's been four weeks since we have last been in the Gospel of Mark. And so I thought it would be a good idea to, to just briefly recap uh, where we are or how we got to where we are in our text this morning. So it was four weeks ago that we looked at verses uh, 53 to 65. And it was at that time that we read that Jesus was brought before the high priest. And with the high priest were the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders who were already there waiting for Jesus to arrive after He was arrested. And they were all waiting there for Jesus to arrive in order that they might examine Him. But their examination of Jesus was an unjust examination because the conclusion... Or the verdict had already been decided before Jesus even arrived. That's because Jesus' teaching uh, hit so close to home for these, for these men. Uh, Jesus in His teaching exposed their wickedness. He ex- exposed their sin. He exposed their hypocrisy. He threatened uh, their positions in Jewish society. And so they had to do away with Jesus. But Jesus' life consisted of nothing but holiness and purity. Jesus' life consisted of nothing but love of God and love of neighbor. And because of that, so many of the people were, were drawn to Jesus. And so the Jewish leadership were scared to touch Jesus during the day. And so they wait to the cover of, for the cover of darkness to gather and to come and to arrest Jesus and to bring Him to this meeting in the middle of the night, which was a an illegal meeting in itself. 
And it's there they sought to bring these false accusations against Christ. These men who said, Jesus said that He was going to destroy the temple. And we looked at that and we seen how those words were, were untrue words spoken against Jesus. Yet because these false witnesses couldn't get their story straight, though the high priest finally turns to Jesus and just bluntly asks Him, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of the Blessed? And it's important to note that we said Jesus remained silent the, the entire time that these false accusations were being brought against Him. But then, when, when the priest speaks up and asks Jesus this, He remains silent no more and He says, I am. I am. He declares, I am the Messiah, the Son of God. And He says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And it was on the basis of this confession we said, not the false accusation. It was based on Jesus' own confession that all of these men then condemn Him and say, He is guilty of death. And yet we've seen that that sentence that was placed upon Jesus was itself an unjust sentence since they didn't even take time to examine the truthfulness of the claims. Right? They dismissed Jesus' answer because they were singularly focused on putting Him to death, not caring if He was in fact the Messiah or not. We also looked at the injustice of the, of the shame that Jesus was forced to experience. We described how He was blindfolded, how Jesus was spat upon, how He was slapped with the palm of the hand, how He was punched with the closed fist, how He was mocked. The one who knew no sin, the one who never transgressed the law of God was, was made to feel this shame and made to feel this shame at the hands of these wicked and evil men. And yet we also said that all of this was done so that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Right? The, the shame that Christ endured was all a part of the plan. The abandonment that Christ suffered by His dearest and closest friends leaving Him all alone to Himself was a part of the plan. Jesus being brought before this council was a part of the plan. And in fact, all that these men, all that these things, the, the mistreatment that these men were doing to Jesus was in fact fulfilling all that the Old Testament Scriptures had said must be done to the Messiah. And in doing those things, in, in the mistreatment of Jesus, what these men not knowingly did was they testified. Right? They were testifying to the truthfulness of Christ's declaration that He is the Son of God and that He is the Messiah. Now, during this examination of Jesus, we are told that there was one apostle who was there. In verse 54, we're told that it was Peter who mustered up the courage to return after fleeing. And now Peter is some distance away and he's looking on at Jesus as he's warming himself by the fire. And it's at this time that Jesus' words to Peter in Mark chapter 14, verse 30, where He says, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny Me three times, is about to come to fruition. Right? Peter, the one who said to Jesus, even if all fall away, 
I will never. It is now that he too falls. Right? And what a, what a great fall it was. And so today we want to ask, how could such a fall occur to such a great saint? Then we want to see what is Peter's response to that great fall. And then we want to ask if there, what, what, if anything, can be done to recover from such a fall for saints even today. And so we're going to do this under three main points this morning. And our three main points are these. Uh, First is Peter's great weakness. Peter's great weakness. Second is Peter's great sorrow. Peter's great sorrow. And third is Peter's great hope. Peter's great hope. So point number one, Peter's great weakness. Peter's great weakness was that Peter was not ready, he was not prepared to deal with temptation when it had reached its peak. He was not ready to deal with temptation when it reached its peak. And that's because Peter, as we noted from uh, the the text that we read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter did not heed the instruction of Christ. He did not watch and pray, but rather he was asleep. So Peter was not ready to deal with temptation. Peter was also a a proud man. Peter had a very bloated view of himself. He had a bloated view of his loyalty towards Christ. He had an exaggerated understanding of his own spiritual condition. Peter thought that he was so much better than the other disciples. And because of this, I want us to see, brothers and sisters, that it simply took the smallest of temptations to cause Peter to fall. The very smallest of temptation causes Peter to fall. It took a a simple statement from one of the high priest's servant girls who says to Peter in verse 67, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. I want us to see this. Peter doesn't have a sword up to his neck. There isn't a legion of Roman soldiers around Peter saying, are you a follower of Christ? And then threatening him with death. It was a a simple statement by a servant girl. And this one simple statement by a servant girl unraveled Peter. It unraveled him. With one statement, Peter was ready to quickly deny his Lord. He says in verse 68, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And we see how Peter's sin goes from bad to worse. Right? First it's, I don't know him. Not really sure what you're talking about. But then, because he's so overcome by fear, when she says to the bystanders in verse 69, this man is one of them, what does Peter do now? Now he flatly denies it. And then when the bystanders themselves say, you are one of them, what does Peter now begin to do? Peter begins to actually call down curses upon himself. He's calling down curses upon himself if he is lying. We've probably all heard people say, uh, may lightning, may God strike me down with lightning right now if I'm lying. Or people say, you know, I swear on the, on the lives of my children, I'm telling you the truth. Right? People invoke that type of language in order to convince someone that they are telling the truth. And Peter being so scared in this moment and not wanting to suffer any consequence for being a follower of Jesus actually begins to essentially say, may God kill me 
if I'm lying to you? Peter's raining down curses upon himself. May I be struck down dead? May I be cursed by God if I'm not telling you the truth? The one who said he was willing to go and, and die with Christ was so concerned for his own safety in this moment that he was willing to say anything to get away. Right? The one who had just lopped off a part of the ear of the high priest's servant had no more fight left in him. Right? Peter in this moment, what we see is he's seeking the approval of men. He wants them to, to believe his lies. He's just like one of them. But that's because Peter is not ready for the moment. The moment surprises Peter, and so he panics. But I want us also to see here lies the difference between Peter's denial and so many other people's denial of Christ. Right? Peter denies Christ out of fear. Right? Peter is scared to death. Right? He does not deny his Lord out of malice. Now that does not lessen the, this great sinfulness of his denial. Right? But there is a difference there that we need to see. But, brothers and sisters, Peter shouldn't have been surprised by this. In fact, our Lord tell, told him that this would happen. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, before Jesus and the apostles go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, in fact, tells Peter that Satan is going to assault him. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith may not fail. Here's Peter's problem though. Peter wasn't praying that his faith would not fail. But brothers and sisters, what we need to see in Peter's weakness is our own weakness. Right In the story of what has happened to Peter, we ought to look at it as a mirror of what could happen to each and every one of us if we become puffed up in our own strength in our own knowledge, and if we become negligent in our own spiritual condition, and when we think that there are certain sins that we could never succumb to, if you are not diligent in watching over your spiritual condition and attending to it, think of it like a flower. How much care we make sure you water it every day, you place it in the sun, right? It's like that with your spiritual life, with your spiritual health. You likewise, every single day, need to be nourishing it, need to be strengthening it, need to be feeding it, need to be watching over it. Or else, brothers and sisters, if you do not, you too, like Peter, will fall. Because who here among us can say that we are not constantly being tempted? Who here is not tempted to satisfy some sort of sinful desire? Who is not tempted here uh, to appease our peers by compromising our own Christian witness? Who here is not tempted to deny Christ by our sinful deeds? Who here is not tempted to tell what we might consider white lies in order to get around maybe rules that we don't like at work or laws that we don't like in society? Right? We all are daily, weekly, monthly. The hour of temptation approaches and draws near. And the question is, is how will you respond? And how will you respond? Will you unravel like Peter did? Ill-prepared to deal when that temptation comes upon you unexpectedly. And please, brothers and sisters, don't think so highly of yourselves to think that it cannot happen to you. Right? When, when people enter into a marriage covenant, 
they don't enter into it usually with the intent to uh, cheat on their spouse, do they? And yet, statistically, that's why many marriages dissolve, right? Because of extramarital affairs. And unfortunately, and sadly, uh, that happens in Christian marriages as well. But why? Why? Because they never thought they could succumb to such a sin. right? And so they never spent any time preparing themselves for it. And so all it takes is for a lady to look at you at work. Or all it takes is for a gentleman to give you a compliment at the grocery store. And something so small as that happens. And all of a sudden, like Peter, you fall. It's because you were ill-prepared. Right? It's because we didn't spend time praying that our faith would not fail us. It's because we spent no time guarding ourselves and preparing ourselves against such a temptation that could come. Right? In Peter's example, we see how a great saint, a great saint like Peter, was capable of falling. Right? Peter was the only apostle with the courage to return and to follow Christ once more. But with that being said, we see that even the bravest of the apostles was capable of succumbing to temptation. We see how quick Peter was to fall. And the same is true today. The, the bravest of you who sit here today if you are not watching over your souls, if you are not attending to your spiritual condition, you too are in great danger of likewise falling when the hour of temptation comes. And brothers and sisters, know this, it will come. The hour of temptation will come to us all. This is why we must heed the Apostle's instructions that he tells the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says to them, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? Take heed, brothers and sisters, when Jesus tells us to watch and pray. Right? Take heed of Peter's example that we have in our text today and learn from it. Right? Take heed when the Scriptures say to you to be devoted to prayer. Because if you don't, like Peter, you will yield to temptation. And when you do, it will only bring sorrow upon sorrow to you. And this is what we see from Peter in his response to his own sin. And this leads us to point number two then, which is Peter's great sorrow. Peter's great sorrow. After Peter denies our Lord three times, we're told in verse 72 that the rooster crows three times. Now, with regularity, the rooster between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. would crow three times. Uh, he would crow usually about uh, 12.30. He would crow a second time an hour later and a third time an hour after that. And each time the rooster crowed, it would last between three and five minutes. And immediately when Peter hears this, he remembers those words of our Lord before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he breaks down and he weeps bitterly. And I want us to see here the difference between the, the unconverted who have no problem with their indwelling sin and the believer and how they respond to their indwelling sin. Right? The unbeliever can sin and it has no effect upon them. There is no shame. There is no sorrow. There is no repentance over their sin. We have examples of this we've seen in our own text. Right? Herod's wife had no shame and no sorrow in demanding the head of the innocent John the Baptist. 
Right? We see the, the high priests and the scribes and the elders have no shame and no sorrow under, over the unjust arrest of Christ and the unjust condemnation and sentence of Him. But for the believer, right? when, when sin gets the upper hand on the believer, we're not joyous. We're not happy. But instead, we, we suffer sorrow and shame. We experience unrest in our souls over our sin. Why? Because we know that it displeases God. We know that it brings a stain and a reproach upon Christ's church. Or at least, brothers and sisters, it ought to bother you in that way. Another reason that Peter weeps is not only because he recalls these words, but Luke tells us in, in his Gospel that after Peter denies the Lord three times, that actually Christ turns and He looks at Peter. And Peter looks back at his Lord. That look from the Lord, the, the, the contact of their eyes, looking upon themselves, and, and our Lord's face probably all blue, uh, bruised and bloodied, Just after Peter denies him, and Peter sees this, this is what's in Peter's purview. You can only imagine that that must have been soul-crushing for Peter. That he knows, that Jesus knows what he has done. He knows that Jesus knows that he has denied him. And so it's that look, along with the remembrance of those words, that that caused Peter to weep bitterly over his sin. And I want us to also see, though, uh, that Peter's tears testify to the, to the truthfulness of his repentance as well. Uh, James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 9, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Sin ought to cause us to mourn and weep. Brothers and sisters, hear me. Remorse over sin is not enough. Remorse is not enough. There must be repentance over sin. You ought to feel pain and anguish and tears and disgust over your sin. Herein lies another difference between someone like Peter and Judas. Right? Peter experiences godly sorrow over sin and he repents over his sin. Judas does not. In that repentance that Peter exhibits, we can also see the truthfulness of that in the manner in which he lived out the rest of his life. As he ever increased in his faith, as as he lived a godly life, as he was obedient to his Lord unto death, Right? It proves, it demonstrates that he is just not offering lip service here, but that he is showing godly sorrow over his sin. And you see, brothers and sisters, that we all, unfortunately, we all will suffer spiritual dry spells. We all will go through spiritual droughts. We all will experience wintry seasons where no foliage grows. We all will experience spiritual illnesses where you no longer sense the the tender, loving presence and countenance of your Lord. But the question is, what will it cause you to do? 
Will it cause you to, to fall into sin even more? Will it cause you to continue to backslide? Or will it cause you to, like Peter when he sinned, right, mourn and weep in repentance over his sin? And then do something about his relationship to that sin. You see, it's not enough to dislike your sin. You must hate your sin. And what do you do with anything that you hate? I hate mushrooms. You'll never see me eating a mushroom. My family can attest to this. I don't go anywhere near them. But that's a trivial example. But that is how our mindset ought to be towards sin. We ought to give sin no opportunity in our life. We ought to be nowhere near sin. This is what Peter did though. Right? Peter was not ready to follow Christ because he was not spiritually right. And so the choice in following Jesus was actually the wrong choice to make. Peter shouldn't have followed Jesus back. In fact, what he did was he put himself in a, in a vulnerable position in one in which he would fall because he was not ready to deal with that temptation. And so, brothers and sisters, we have to learn from that that we must know ourselves well enough to know our weaknesses in order to not put ourselves in positions where we will succumb to temptations as well. Because we know what that does. Right? Sin harms us. Sin stifles our relationship to God. Sin impairs our Christian witness in the world and even within our family. Right? Sin is an enemy of God and so sin ought to be an enemy of ours as well. And we don't reside with our enemies. We need to stop being friendly to sin. We need to stop being hospitable to sin. We need to stop considering just that momentary pleasure and start thinking about what advantage is it for us to sin? You can look at the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Right? Satan helped them to believe that it would be advantageous for them to, to sell a piece of their property, to keep some back for themselves, to give a portion to the church, but make the church believe they gave it all away. And what was their result? You see, we only think about these momentary pleasures when we commit these sins. But brothers and sisters, what we need to be considering is the eternal sorrows that these sins bring upon us. Yet God will also remove His gracious and present, His gracious uh, hand from us in order that we might learn and be taught of what would happen to us if He removed that hand from good. If He removed His hand for good. He wants to see, this is, this is what you would be like if left to your own strength. Like Peter, you will surely fall. As, as one author puts it, if left to ourselves, we would be like a city without any gates. And if that was our reality, we would be like Peter in this moment, every single moment of our lives. But thankfully, although we fail, although God tests us and we fall, even though we sometimes lose our grip upon Christ, although we sometimes lose our, our vision upon heaven, our Father delights when, like the prodigal son, His children return back to Him. Right? He delights that although we may have gone away for a season, that, that we return back to our Lord. As David says in Psalm 51, verse 17, after repenting over his own sin, 
a broken and contrite heart, O God, You will not despise. This is what Peter had to learn. Peter had to have his pride destroyed. Peter had to be shown his weakness. Peter had to come to recognize his spiritual condition. And all of those things came to a head early on that Friday morning as he is brought to his knees and as he weeps bitterly over his sin. And yet for the believer, brothers and sisters, although we are to weep and mourn over our sin and we are to repent, it ought to eventually give way to the understanding that we too, though, have a great hope. Although we are sinners, we have a great hope. And this leads us to our third and final point this morning, which is Peter's great hope. Peter's great hope. In Luke 21, verse 31, which I read earlier, uh, Jesus says to Peter this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail you. Now there's... A little more that comes after that, which I purposely left off. And this is what Jesus, though, says to him after, the, after that. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew what was going to happen. That's why he says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So we see that Satan's sifting of Peter was a part of God's plan. But what was also part of God's plan was... Peter's repentance and turning back to the Lord. Right? God was not going to lose one of his own to the devil. Right? God's grace was going to overcome. And it did in Peter's repentance. But Satan was allowed to assail Peter because Peter had to be reminded that he needed to look to Christ. Right? Peter had to be reminded uh, that he needed to trust in Christ that he needed to look to Christ for forgiveness. He needed to be reminded to look to the mercy of Christ. He needed to be reminded in his own unfaithfulness that God is the one who is truly faithful. He had to learn to to trust Christ's words. Remember Peter rebuked Christ before? He had to learn to trust Christ's words when he said, I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to die and on the third day I will rise again. And I can only imagine though as as they're looking at each other as, as Luke tells us. And that as Peter's eyes well up with tears and he, he runs off and weeps bitterly, that the only thing that's in our Lord's eyes as He looks upon Peter is pity, compassion, and love. And he's looking upon Peter who just denied Him three times with pity, compassion, and love. Right? This is the very reason why Christ went to the cross. This is the very reason that he was going to endure all that he had to endure. This is the reason that he was brought before the council and will soon be brought before Pilate so that he might be crucified. Right? He's going to the cross for sin out of love for us. He's going to, to die out of love for Peter. Right? He went to the cross and died out of love for you, the saints. Right? This is why he came into the world. Right? He came to the world for sinners. And in going to the cross for our sin, He has given to all who believe a great hope. Right? This is a great hope that Peter had even though he denied the, our Lord three times. This is a hope that Peter comes to recognize and, and love and embrace and proclaim. This is what he proclaims 
in his sermon at Pentecost to the men of Israel who had a hand in putting Christ to death. He proclaims to them that same great hope, and that is that in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, he has conquered sin and death. And he, as the life, has secured eternal life for all who believe. And Christ himself has the authority now to bestow that life on all people who believe. And this ought to help everyone here who has struggled with sin. Right? Knowledge of, of, of that, of that great hope ought to, ought to help everyone here who perhaps today is dealing with a season of unfruitfulness. Right? You can know that there is hope. You can know that our Lord will lose none that are His. You can know that although there may be times of spiritual drought or illness, that Jesus knows that there will be that time when you, when you turn and you, and you come back to Him. We will have to suffer the effects of our sin in this earth. Right? You will have to suffer the consequences of those sinful choices that you make. But what we can also know is that God forgives. And when God forgives, He forgives completely. Right? This is the promise of the new covenant. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. And so we have to ask today, brothers and sisters, where does your hope lie? Does your hope lie in the Christ of the new covenant? If it does, if it lies with the Christ of the new covenant, then you don't have to feel anxious You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear when temptation comes. We simply have to be living every single day beside Christ and walking every single day with the fear of the Lord before our eyes. And then you have no reason to be worried. Peter would have been protected by the impenetrable fortress who is his God had this been the case with Peter. But Peter lost the fear of the Lord before his eyes. Peter stopped clinging to the words of Christ as if his life depended on it. And when you stop clinging to the words of Christ, you are subject to be shaken by all manner of things. When you're not clinging to Christ, you surely will be shaken by the threats of this world. When not clinging to the words of Christ, you will be shaken at the thought of being in prison for your Christian faith. You will be shaken by the thought of the loss of family and friends because of your Christian faith. You will be shaken by the thought of losing your job because of your Christian faith. But if you are cleaving to Christ every day, nothing in this world will trouble or shake you. Because you know that no matter what man can do to you, he cannot snatch that great hope which is yours in Christ Jesus. For your life, brothers and sisters, is with Christ. Right now you are living your life in the heavenly places with Christ. We are just waiting to be brought with Him and reunited once more. Thankfully for Peter, although Peter let go of Christ here, Christ never let go of Peter. Right? Thankfully, although Peter denies his Lord three times here, Christ never denies Peter before his Father. Let all here who believe see our text today as a picture of the goodness of God towards those whom He loves. And let us examine ourselves and see our own weakness so that we do not fall prey to temptation. Let us here today learn that we must watch and pray. Let us see here today that if we sin, we must be quick and humble enough to mourn over our sin and to to weep over it if necessary and to quickly repent over our sin.
And yet, let us also see that we are to constantly be remembering those gospel promises that we have been given by our Lord as we continue to to keep looking to the cross, which is the, the great hope of all who believe. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Your revelation to us. We are thankful, Father, that You are a good and gracious God who forgives sinners such as we. We ask You, Lord, this day that You would help us to learn from Peter's example that we would be those who ready ourselves against all temptation and that we would continue to walk beside Christ all the days of our life, feasting upon the great promises of the new covenant. So we come before you this day, and we ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.